welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I really do appreciate you joining me. You're going to really enjoy this because uh, you've seen this guy on Fox News. His name is Nate Foy, and uh, he's just an all-around good guy, uh, incredibly talented in what he's doing, a rising star at Fox News. And um, look forward to having a good discussion with him about growing up, what life was like with his brothers. And um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, you certainly have seen him and we'll see a lot more of him. And uh, I think it'll be good discussion because he's just a super good guy. So hope you enjoy that. But uh, we also always want to kick things off with just a little enlightenment about the news. And then, uh, you know bring on the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. Um, a couple of things happening here. One is uh, this, all this information about Jeffrey Epstein and the Epstein Island and all that. Well, supposedly, uh, Ghislaine, or however you pronounce her first name, Maxwell, supposedly is writing a tell-all memoir behind bars to combat what she calls misinformation. Now, uh, I've got great hopes and expectations on this. I don't know why every name is not out there in the public and why this illumination of these stories and all these uh, salacious stories that happened about uh, this sex trafficking isn't out there. But um, she certainly seemed to be within proximity of what was going on there. So I think that'll be interesting when and if this uh, news actually comes out. Um, I also hope you saw in the midst of all the big discussions uh, this past week on, on the border and uh, on, uh, you know, the the uh, escalation of violence there in the Middle East, the killing of the of the three uh, United States uh, servicemen and the, you know, the 34 people that were that were hurt and injured. That number may have gone up since I recorded this. Um but in, a, in addition to all that, um, I, I really do hope that there are other parts of the news and things that we actually are paying attention to. Uh, and a couple quick ones that I want to just highlight. We had these deranged climate activists who threw this soup at the Mona Lisa. Now, this keeps happening. These climate activists seem to think that if they can destroy works of art, some of the most valuable pieces of art on the planet that somehow, some way that's going to draw attention to their plight, as they call it, and somehow, some way get us to think that climate is more important and they're, therefore they'll stop holding us ransom by stop destroying the art. I totally don't get this understanding to go after the Mona Lisa. Now, hopefully it was fully protected, but if you didn't see this, it was really bad. It was really bad. If you, if you didn't see this, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, and I, I really do worry that this is going to continue unless you really prosecute these people to the fullest extent. Um, the Department of Justice is now going and looking at the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, on the sexually harass, harassment of uh, a dozen women. This is according to CNBC. Uh, this is the allegation. This is what they're looking at. Don't know where it's going to go. But this story just continues to continue to have legs and more uh, attention will be given to it. And it should and it should. It really should. Um, Leah Thomas is reportedly seeking legal avenues to overturn regulations on male swimmers competing with women. 
Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is the, what Riley Gaines went through. If you listen to last week's podcast, and I, if you haven't had a chance, I hope you get to, but Riley Gaines and her story and what she went through, now legal. Leah Thomas is out there trying to change the rules. I think it has to do with the Olympics and all that. But, oh, my goodness. Um, there's a lot happening out there. Again, immigration, tier one issue, enforce the current laws, Mr. President. That's what you can do. You can lock down the border and you can do it right now. And I've talked about this frequently on this podcast, but it really is, we're talking about human beings here and they need to do the right thing and they haven't done it and they need to. Anyway, lots of other things happening in the news. I also want to highlight the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, I'm going to the United States Navy, who is again lowering requirements for new recruits as it struggles to meet requirement goals. This was in the New York Post. It was in a lot of different publications. But the way to actually grow recruitment, which is down by tens of thousands of needed recruits to go into our military services, and this one specifically for the United States Navy, is not to get rid of the requirement for uh, having a high school or GED degree, and, and then offering another test where they have to pass a minimum. No, 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 no. Let's help raise the bar. And they had released uh, or had reduced, at least in one of the branches of the military, the physical requirements because evidently America's kids are too fat and too out of shape. But you know what? If you want people to do more push-ups, you have to get them to do more push-ups. We should be raising the bar. And you know what? It starts at the top. It starts with the commander-in-chief because a lot of people, I think, are worried about our, how our United States military is is treated and supported. And they need to know that they're loved and cherished. And this is a great career and a great way to go. But lowering the standards yet again, thinking that, oh, we're going to get more people in. I don't know if that's going to do it. I really do worry about that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is a media critic who says the success of the movie Oppenheimer means Hollywood is returning to the troubled era of oversaturated macho dad movies, according to a foxnews.com story. Are you kidding me? We need good stories and good storytelling. And this is an important story. But, you know, they kind of say the same thing about Maverick and Top Gun. Why this movie, quote unquote, critic is going out there and criticizing it because... It's going to be a macho dad movie. Oh, my goodness. It's good storytelling. You know what? Men, women, they they like these movies because they're really well done and they're important stories and they're entertaining. That's what it's all about. That seems pretty stupid to me. All right. So it's time to bring on Nate Foy, a great guy. I had a chance to get to know him here at Fox. But I really wanted to dive a little deeper, learn more about him and his upbringing because you're going to see him and see a lot of him here at Fox. So let's give a shout out and a ring to Nate Foy. All right, Nate, we got you on the phone. I am so glad to be connected with you. Me too. You've had a very long day today. I have. And you have a little vacation coming up. And I, I, my guess is I'm the only thing standing between you and really nice warm weather. You are the last thing I'm doing before I'm going home and packing my bags and going down to Florida for... It was supposed to be a fishing trip in the Everglades with my family, and we got some bad weather in Florida this weekend, so I think that we're going to have to reschedule the Everglades fishing, but my brother just moved down to Lake Worth from Canada, 
and he's a big fisherman, so I think we're going to check out some of his local spots and, and see what we can catch. So what what is the ideal Nate Foy? I just this is this is my this is my perfect vacation. What is that? Well, so it's funny. I'm the world's worst fisherman, and I'm <laughs> I'm about to go on a fishing vacation, and the reason why is because I love spending time with my brothers. And you know, how many brothers? How many brothers you got? Three, three brothers, four boys in the family, no sisters. If you count my dad, you know, it, it, it's five boys and then my mom. Right. So, uh, and and you know, brothers who at times were were not the easiest for for them to raise. <laughs> so it, it was definitely a locker room growing up. And a couple of my brothers really love fishing. It's not really my thing, but like I said, I love hanging out with them. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of that. But my ideal vacation is more what's going to happen on the back end. Which is more golf. I'm, I'm a big golf and beach guy. So, you know, I, I give them what they want, and then in the second half of the vacation, I'll, I'll get what I want. Well, you're a very sports oriented guy. I mean, I, most people are. I, how surprised when people see you now that they're, you've been on Fox so much, they're recognizing you, they see you wherever in the airport. I mean, I see you on the network, you're like, everywhere and it's usually cold and it's usually something horrific that's going on you know um but which is the nature of what you do now but when people see it do they they look at it and say wow you're a lot taller than i thought you were going to be that is generally the first thing that people say surprisingly i've been told that i look younger in person th- th- than i do on tv <laughs> but you're already pretty young uh, um, compared to me i'm 31 about to be 32 but i'm going gray so so yeah. i look older than i am and then with the beard and and the height i'm 6 foot 8 i think all that plays into it but it's actually one of, one of my favorite things about working for fox is that i get recognized way less than i used to because in, in local news you're the guy in that community. Everywhere you go, everyone knows who you are. Right. Whereas in New York City, no one cares, which right. is phenomenal. Right. <laughs> but when you go out and about, and you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, once upon a time I used to be in Congress, yeah. which meant I was on some of the other networks. And it, so when I bump into people, it wasn't always necessarily a happy moment. Now that I've been on Fox for years and not on those other networks, usually when you bump into somebody, it's a happy event. That's yeah, is nice. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. That, that, that's much better. The people that that wouldn't be so pleasant generally aren't watching what you're doing anymore. So you kind of just keep doing your thing, and the people yeah. who notice you love you. All right, so let's go back. You uh, w- let's go back to I was born in because I want to hear about young life with your three brothers and your dad, kind of the the, the other brother uh, that's there. Uh, what? Where were you born? Were you first, the oldest, youngest? Where are you at in that mix? And what was life like growing up? So I'm number three. We grew up in a relatively small town, at least by my standards. It was like about 30,000 people, a town called Westboro, Massachusetts, 45 minutes outside Boston. Uh, very normal upbringing, um, competitive with, with the four boys. We played a lot of street hockey. Uh, my dad was a, a college basketball player. He he played at Boston College. He was actually on really? the he was on the point shaving team. Do you remember that? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a little controversial. Not that I was totally following it, but it's an it was notorious enough that yeah, I did hear about it. So you know, Goodfellas, Jimmy yeah. Burke, and and Henry yeah. Hill. Those were the guys who they found three players on my dad's team. And they were paying them money to shave points off wow. the game. 
and it was when my dad, I want to say he was a, a sophomore, he might have been a freshman, uh, my dad was not taking money from the right. mobsters, but but three players were, they got caught, the, the news broke when my dad was a senior, he was the captain his senior year, and he was involved in, in the investigation and the whole thing, they made a ESPN 30 for 30 about it, so anyways, that, that's just sort of a, you know, a fun fact. Okay, about so but your dad family, is but, like super athletic, is your mom athletic? She is, she didn't really play organized sports, but she was the town champion tennis player at the local club wow so she's athletic she's yeah yeah, she's very athletic and my two older brothers really athletic which helped me a lot because trying to keep up with your older brothers you know just competing against them every day made competing against i am the tallest but in a fight to the death i'd probably come in third <laughs> out, out of four, my, third out of four. Yeah, well, as long as you're not dead last. Yeah, yeah. It, it's honestly an age order. <laughs> my second oldest brother, I think, might win, but my my two oldest brothers would definitely take me, and I, I still think I could take my little brother. You don't want to admit that out loud, Nate. I'm gonna put this blasting on the speakers next time I go home <laughs> on this vacation. I'm gonna I'm gonna play this podcast and and, and see how my brothers react. It won't be to much it. of a vacation, but yeah, I hear you. But okay, so you're going up, you're playing sports. Um, but as you get older, was there any sport that you gravitated to? I mean, you're tall, right? So basketball, basketball. Was, was definitely the one. And and I had a particularly close relationship with my dad. I still do. Mm-hmm. And I just really wanted to be like him. And I played ice hockey, but I was the only one, surprisingly, who played basketball. My two older brothers were obsessed with hockey, so I followed in their footsteps. But because of my connection with my dad, I also played basketball. And then because they were both winter sports, I had to pick one. And when I was in seventh grade, I, I, I picked basketball. So that was my sport throughout high school. I was a pretty good high school player, but not good enough to get any D1 offers. And ended up going to the University of Miami. Didn't have any friends when, when I first got there, so I committed to trying to walk on the team. And came what I think I came pretty close. Um, I had you know a really good tryout. Had a moment with Coach Larinaga at the U, where he was pretty much just asking me why I didn't play college basketball, what my grades were. And I called my dad afterwards, and I was like, I think I actually might have made the team. And no walk-ons made the team that year. But funny enough, I hosted this alumni event in New York City a couple months ago, and I interviewed Larinaga on stage in front of, you know, like 300 people or so. And I told them, I'm, I'm six foot eight. Everywhere I go, people are asking me why I didn't play college basketball. And I'm hoping that tonight in front of everyone, you can tell me. And he was super gracious about it. He told me it was the biggest mistake he's ever made. But the truth is he didn't remember me. So I guess I, I, I didn't leave much of an impression. If you're the basketball coach at, at a big university like that, you see a lot of six eight guys, right? It's not... That's the thing. Everyone's always like, I don't understand. You just turn around and put the, the ball in the hoop. You're so tall. <laughs> when you get to that level, there are at least two guys on the court on each team that are taller than you. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So you're like a forward. You got you gotta and that was my problem was I wasn't fast enough to defend the forwards or the guards and I wasn't strong enough to bang with the bigger guys so um, I couldn't guard anybody but offensively I I, I like to think I was pretty skilled I think I could score but I couldn't defend at that level do you think if you grew up in like Southern California or Florida or something like you'd be into beach volleyball possibly I, I 
I, I think that it would have taken someone in my family sort of guiding me in that direction. Because, right. like I said, I, I got into hockey because my older brothers got into hockey, and I got into basketball because of my dad. But I don't see dad. a lot of six eight hockey players, right? Well, that's actually the big mistake that I made was I think that if I did focus on hockey, and my dad actually thinks I'm I was the worst hockey player he's ever seen, so he'll laugh <laughs> listening to this. But but I think I had some potential in hockey because six eight standing up, you're six ten on skates. You have, you know, a, a extra long stick. Yeah. It's, it's really hard f- to get around someone like that if you're a defenseman. So being six foot eight in hockey is sort of a difference maker, whereas in basketball, it's, it's everyone's that tall, you know, yeah. so it, it doesn't differentiate you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I met uh, Wayne Gretzky a couple of times, actually. Um, and what a great honor. I mean, one of the greatest yeah. guys uh, ever to play, you know, hockey. But uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't the biggest guy. I That's mean, the he, thing about he, hockey. He, he was amazing. I mean, he was like five eleven, six feet maybe. You know, I'm six two, so I thought, wow, I thought he was going to be. He was so bigger than life. But then when he was standing right there with me, I thought, yeah, he's not a huge guy, but he was so quick. Yeah, he was so quick and, and so smart, and so you could see the game unlike anybody who's ever played. Before. Yeah, he he skated to where the puck was going rather than where it yeah. already was. But there's some players like Brad Marchand on, on the Bruins. I'm not sure exactly how tall he is, but I think he's like five six, five seven. He's yeah. tiny, and he, they, he's one of the better players in the league. They can move. It's unbelievable. And all I, right, I, hold on. I know that this is your podcast, but while we're on the topic of sports, I saw that you were the place kicker at BYU. Yeah, and I've I've never talked to a kicker before, and I'm interested because you, you talk to all these like high school soccer players, and they, they they're like, oh, I I could do that. And the question always is, with you know eleven guys barreling down on you, can you still do it? What is that like? H- how was that the pr- dealing with that pressure as the kicker? Because you're kind of on the sidelines, and then you just get brought in at the most crucial moments of the game. I- I'm interested in the the psychological process of, of being you know, a place kicker. It's really interesting because when I was playing soccer growing up. Um, I was usually the guy that coaches would look at and say, hey, we got a penalty kick. Um, we got to make it, and it takes a little poise to do that. Chaffetz, get over there. And yeah. I, I don't remember ever missing one. And um, I just had this confidence, and I don't know where it came from. I think my parents kind of instilled with me. and so They always kind of said, look, you can do whatever you want to do. If not you, who's going to do it? Yeah. Like, you think there's some magic, you know, something? I didn't kick a football until I was a junior in high school. And it was only because they asked all the guys on the soccer team to come try out. And I said, yeah, I'll try that. So I got out of my comfort zone, tried it, and that was actually turned out to be pretty good. My first game, I missed a, a really long field goal. And I started getting recruited. And I thought, what if I actually made one of these? Yeah. Maybe I could, you know, and, and then focus determines reality. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys that can, can kick it far. The, the, the hardest part about place kicking, and not to turn this podcast into a kicking seminar, but... <laughs> is can you do it when there's 65,000 people yelling at you? You've been sitting at the side on the sideline for an hour and a half and haven't kicked the ball, and then you got 25 seconds to run out there, get your poise, take that snap and the kick. You have 1.35 seconds to get that kickoff, and can you get it uh, 11 feet high, five yards from where you're standing? That's the hardest part is yeah. the trajectory. Like a lot of guys kick it far, right? But, you know, the pros, the college, you got to kick it high. 
and be right on the spot. And I somehow figured out how to do that. Well, I'm sure that the, the focus and composure prepared you for the things that were to come. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, you know, so speaking, being on an air, look, you've been on air enough, right? But you also remember your first time, right? The first time the light goes on and you got to go live and they tell you, you got <laughs> one minute, you know, and you got to cover first time all in this Fox stuff. Or first time ever. Yeah. Both. Right. You yeah. get a little, your blood pressure's moving a little bit, right? Oh, it still happens to me depending on what the story is. But what's the hardest thing? What's the hardest? I mean, like I saw you today, you were doing stuff about Trump in the courtroom, and there's so many moving parts to it. Yeah. Sometimes that actually helps me. So th this story specifically, I've been covering it, so I know it pretty well. But when so many things are coming at me, it actually helps me get out of my head because I'm in a, a, a zone of taking information in. Mm-hmm. It's harder for me when nothing's happening and I have three hours to be like in my head, well, what if I said it like this? Would it, would, would it be more effective if I changed this word? And then I can just run circles and you know go down a, a whole list of hypotheticals and then you start playing mind games and you got to get your poise and your focus. But it's actually easier for me when, when a lot of things are coming at me. Um, my first time ever being on air kind of a funny story. So I, I went to the University of Miami again. I, I got involved in the student TV and there was this former sports center anchor called Neil Everett. Um, and I tried emulating his style and he, he kind of like yells a little bit and I wanted to be like that, but I was so nervous that it came out as like a whisper scream. <laughs> so I was like, hello everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Sports Desk. <laughs> and I watched it back. It took me probably two years before I was no longer embarrassed to watch my own work. <laughs> so it, it, it took me a little bit. And, and like I said, I started in sports and then I, I got my career started in St. Joseph, Missouri. I, I've never met anybody from a, a smaller market. At the time it was market 206. I think now it's 201. And there's only 211 of them. So I was there. Uh, for by the way, just a little side note, asterisk. Um, that's where my mom was born. My mom was born in St. Joe. Joe, Missouri. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Where the uh, saltine cracker was invented, I believe. Yeah. I remember she went back to visit and came back and brought me an Ozark Mountain Daredevils uh, cassette tape. That's how old I am. And uh, I think it's so funny. I don't, even know, yes. I don't even know what that is. But there, there, there's <laughs> an old-time band. Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> the, yeah, there's very I'll few. I'll get you one. It's on okay. Spotify. It's like... <laughs> anyway, sorry. Keep going. St. Joe, Missouri. Got a fond place in my heart, and I actually know where it is. So keep going. So St. Joe, Missouri for a year, and then I got a job in Fort Myers, Florida, still doing sports. And after about a year and a half of, of doing sports in Fort Myers, I made the transition to news. Why? Why? And, why? I mean, you have. A, I mean, look, you got brothers, you got a dad, you pension for it. Why? Why switch from sports to news? So it, it was a combination of factors. Number one, I, I felt like I was losing sort of my hobby in my job, where I love being a sports fan, and I was missing Boston Celtics games to go to some high school volleyball game that I didn't actually care about. <laughs> you know, so there, all right, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so there was there, there was that aspect of it, right? And then also the the storylines in sports often just repeat themselves and it's just a right. different person or player 
the coaches give you the same answers and you're just plugging in a new name. So it it gets a little bit boring. I, I think that if I had more success quicker in, in sports, I think I would still love to do like a national sports show. Um, but But covering high school sports was just a grind. And like I said, I was missing all the professional sports that I cared about covering the high school sports. So I didn't love that as much as as I thought I would. And then, you know, also, I, I honestly, I'd be lying if I told you that I wasn't just looking at opportunities. And there were more opportunities in news. So that played a role initially. But what I found once I actually made the transition to news was that I like it so much more because it's changing all the time. And I'm learning so much. I think that I maybe was resistant to grow up a little bit I, I kind of wanted to just make jokes and and have fun and talk sports for the rest of my life and then when when I just kind of made that leap of faith and and got into news it, it kind of forced me to learn about more about how the world works and about history and you know politics and I'm so grateful for that experience and that's one of the the best things about now and you know, all these years later at this level getting to experience so many different things and cultures. I was just in Israel and um, it, it's such a blessing to, to get paid, to travel the world, to learn how everything works, to meet so many interesting people and to tell their stories. It, it's an absolute dream come true. No, I mean, look, this is why you're one of the rising stars at Fox. Cause you, you do it in, in a positive way. Like what I mean by positive, it's like so many people are like, Oh, this is so dire, and they like you know. But you just do it with just a the right balance of a smile on your face, but knowing that you've covered the story, it's just good. I just I really admire what you do and how you do it because I know that doesn't just happen. Like it, it comes because you're passionate about it and you care about it. Um, Thank you. So, but but go back to to making that transition. So I'm sorry you you're in sports, but your first news job was in Fort Myers. I was the weekend news anchor for the morning show at NBC2, WBBH. And you start doing that and then moved up the food chain or, or do you go to another market after that? No, I, I made the jump from Fort Myers to here. Um, Wait, how did you do that? That's that's quite a leap from weekend Fort Myers, Florida to to, you know... New York, Fox News. So Fort Myers has produced a lot of really, really good talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think that I'm I'm the first one who's gone directly from Fort Myers. And it was a combination of a lot of factors, and, and luck was certainly one of them. One of my friend's dads, or the dad owns a restaurant in the Palm Beach area, and a Fox executive came in. And he found out who she was, and he just showed her my resume reel on his phone. And he was like, hey, really? take a look at my uh, son's friend. He's a news anchor in, in Fort Myers. What do you think? And she was <laughs> impressed, and she was like, I actually really like him. Can, like, put me in touch with him. And then I got an email, and this was actually for Fox Weather. And then I, I initially um, went through the interview process for Fox Weather, and somehow talked them into giving me an opportunity on Fox News. And it just sort of worked out perfectly. 
Um, they they took a chance on me. It, it's not very normal for someone from market no. fifty three to to go up to the national networks. Generally, you come from you know local L A or Dallas or Philly or something like that, and um, they took a chance on me. And and I'm I'm trying my hardest to prove them right. Well, you certainly have in my book, that's for sure. And I thank you. Got to see you around in the in the you know the Fox office. We've been trying to get together on this podcast, but you're running off to some murder scene or some something's going on. Let's go back to that process part again because I actually that was kind of interesting. You know, my experience on air is if I overthink it, if I try to write it out, if I try to spell it out and then regurgitate it, I always trip up. Yeah, I'm just like. What I do best on is knowing the material, having a eh, general outline of what I want to say, and then just letting it rip. It comes off so much more naturally. But, I mean, you're doing hard news, and a lot of it has some complexity about, you know, dates and times and years. And Do you write that out? Do you put the outline together? Or you just, you know, all of a sudden they'll say, hey, we're coming to you live. You got two minutes. So it depends on the show and it depends on the story. But um, some shows prefer you to sort of write a script and, and get everything approved. And in, in those shows, you need to stick closer to a script and, and veer more towards memorization. And those are the shows that I get more nervous, to your point, because if you mess it up, and you get off track, then it's it's really difficult to get back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found that the hardest thing is that we have to hit a certain time limit. So the, the report is supposed to be a minute and 30 seconds, and the producers are timing the show, and they want right. to get yeah. the next guest in before the commercial break, and you don't want to you know, be an inconvenience. So if... I commit to just talking off the top of my head because I know the material. I think that I come across better. But sometimes I might talk for two minutes. I might talk for a minute and 15. And so it's it's striking a balance of sort of ad-libbing to the point where you feel like you're being authentic and you feel like it comes across as you want, but then keeping it structured enough so that you know that you're not going over the time limit that that's something that I work on literally every single day. Do you practice that? I experiment a little bit. And then there's times where, you know, like today, for example, during the Trump trial coverage, Mm -hmm. there were numerous hits where they just called me and they were like, Nate, get on camera right now. We're coming to you. And on a hit like that, it's actually fun because you don't need to hit any certain time. You'll just talk, and then the producer will say rap when they want you to stop. Right, right, right. Um, but when yeah, it's... what I found is like different shows have different personalities, right? So yeah. some shows, when they say rap, you better be done in the next four or five seconds. Yeah. And other shows, a rap means, yeah, let's get around to that in the next 20, 30 seconds. You totally. Know, it, just, it totally depends. And then when you get the second rap, generally, they, they have a very different tone. And a little bit louder, a little, little bit, bit more. Angrier. Did you hear me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> did you hear what I said? Because I said rap. <laughs> yes. You never want the second rap. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, I've had many second wraps, so, so I may, maybe I should be learning from that. The volume increases, the tr- projection increases. I'm yeah. like, they must have heard that through my microphone because it was so loud in my ear. Yeah, you're in the penalty box when you get, yeah. <laughs> when you get the second wrap. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, and then there are other times when, you know, you have so much time. What was the case? There was one where you were out in the field. I think it was somebody who escaped from prison or something like that, custody. Yeah. Or there was a big, no, it, it, there was another one where there was a big shooting and they were looking. It was like a manhunt for this guy and everybody was locked indoors. You're outside. And they kept coming to you time and time and time and time again. And, you know, but it's live. I mean, that you're watching breaking news as it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a time. So this was the main mass shooting recently. Yeah, that's and, what it was. Yeah, and um, there was like a helicopter camera, and um, everyone was staying indoors because the guy killed himself, but uh, right. no one knew that at the time. So th- there was a, a gentleman who was on his knees with his hands behind his head, and police were closing in on him. But it was just a guy going for a walk, and right, right. we didn't know that. So this is all playing out on live TV and you're wondering, is this the guy? But what makes it more difficult from a reporter's perspective is that we have a delay and I'm watching it on a phone. So like I'm looking in the camera, the phone is is to the side of the camera, there's a delay. So sometimes I worry about that delay and and, and not being able to react at, you know, an appropriate time. Right. Um, right. But you, you just do the best you can and it ended up, like I said, not being the guy, and, and then you just keep reporting and keep following every twist and turn of the story. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Nate Foy right after this. So what's the dream job? I mean, you're still so young. You're still pretty fresh at Fox. How long have you been at Fox now? Coming up on two years. February two years. 14th will be two years. So, like, what is the, like, okay... At some point, this is what I'd really like to do. So, honestly, I'm living my dream job right now. Um, eventually, I would like to anchor, and and I want it to be at Fox. You know, th- this is exactly where I want to be. Uh, I feel like I can accurately report on the news here. They, they give me the, the freedom to tell the story uh, how I want to and um, – in a way that I believe is is accurate and and fair, and this is where I want to be, and I hope to one day be one of the anchors here. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great. Um, I can totally see that happening. So uh, you know, I love the variety of things that come about with Fox, and I just I do love the news. Now, look, I'm I'm on the opinion side. The, the, the way generally works is you have the opinion group and then you have the the news division and so but you know you're you're kind of involved and engaged in both at least the opinion guys are and and when they're doing news they're going to a guy like you right so um but i just love breaking news i love the variety of it i love that you wake up every day and somebody's we always say in this podcast there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere right yeah. so there, there's no shortage of material of of what's happening and and yeah that's what makes it so dynamic and also i think so compelling to watch now do you like do your parents like watch do they 
your buddies watch, your brothers watch, and they call and say, Nate, that was so bad. Or, you know, that was really good. They do. Son. They, they do. My, uh, I don't think they will call me. I, I generally just don't hear anything if I sort of mess up a little bit. <laughs> and, then, and then when I when I perform well, I'll get a, a call or a text. My dad watches all the time. My mom really doesn't watch any TV. But when she hears my name, you know, when the anchor says Nate Foy, and then my mom will come running from the kitchen. She's always writing one of her books or something and uh and then she runs in and she loves watching it as well my grandma is 92 she's obsessed with fox news she has been for for a long long time so she's very very excited every time that i come on my buddies uh, i wouldn't say uh watch they they definitely watch but not all day like like my dad and right. my grandma do um, they're more into Instagram and, uh, like they'll see the, the, the posts where I'll share some of my stories on Twitter and stuff. And, and they're also watching when they get back from work. So if I have a, a story on special report, I'll hear from them or they'll send me a picture of them at the gym and, and see me on the TV and stuff like that. Oh, that's fun. Now I have the total opposite experience. So, um, I, when I screw up, uh, I hear about it, and I hear about it from everybody. People that claim to be my friends, I don't even know, will start telling me, "Hey, buddy, you, you screwed up." But especially my friends. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up to one that I don't know that I've talked about before, and this was before I was on Fox News. But when I was in Congress, I had done this investigation into Benghazi. I was the first member of Congress went to Libya. And I was pretty passionate about this, and there were a lot of people out there I felt. Uh, not necessarily telling the full and compelling truth. And I was on CNN and I was debating. Uh, they had me on with uh, Wesley Clark. He used to be the NATO commander, right? So he's a way, way up the high in the food chain in the, the military. And he and I are both on <laughs> on Fox and I'm getting pretty passionate about this. And Nate, I, out of the blue, I tried to say fire fight. I said, they were in the middle of this firefight, and I accidentally said, fire fart. <laughs> and the moment I said it, it was not seconds later, my phone, which was in my pocket at the time, buzzing, just would nonstop buzzing. And I just knew that it was going to be Trey Gowdy, my other colleague, and my brother, and my brother, and it could not stop buzzing. And they were all... Dude, you just said fire fart. <laughs> and I tried to deny it. I tried to say, no, listen closely. Like, we heard you. Could, could, we know exactly what did, you did said. Did you immediately have the clip and go back and watch oh, it? Oh, my gosh. They let me know. And that is, so it was always, I can always count on Trey Gowdy or John Ratcliffe or somebody. If I screw up on anything, they are going to send me some sort of clever you know, meme or something to let me know instantaneously that that was not necessarily as smooth as it yeah. should have been. Hey, that's a true friend, though. You know, they can tell you those oh, things. Oh, what goes around comes around because I'm telling you, I can go after Gowdy with the best of them, and we have a lot of fun doing that. And if you could see the text, um, maybe a little childish at sometimes, but pretty funny. Um, yeah. And Ratcliffe's also in that mix. And sometimes Senator Tim Scott will let me have it as well. 
but it's kind of fun because they are friends and you know you do interact with them and, and they've walked the walk so so you they've got, all been there they've all, the they've my, all my screwed are, up my friends are all in tech sales so i think that's why they're just like all right well we'll let them off the hook <laughs> yeah it really is it really is fun along the way um all right so you're off to this great trajectory, um, but we want to get to know you a little bit better. So before you start relaxing um, and go on this fishing, golfing extravaganza in what hopefully is warmer weather than what you're doing right now, um, I got to ask you a few more questions. Of course. All right. Uh, first concert you ever attended? First concert I ever attended was The Police at Fenway nice. Park. At Fenway Park, that's really, iconic. Really, yeah, really, really good concert. It was I pretty asked, late in my life. I didn't go to a concert until I want to say I was like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, no, I was older in life too, and I I was like a senior in high school before I ever went to a concert. My parents didn't want me to. I think they felt like hey, it was going to be a bad influence. I remember the Cars. Remember the Cars? Yep. Uh, I so desperately wanted to go to a Cars concert. My parents were like, absolutely not. And the report back was all my friends are totally getting high, and it's probably a really good decision by my parents to not let me go to this Cars yeah. concert. So. But you got to go to the Legends while you can. My, my my first, at least among my first concerts. So the Police were the first one, and then um, I went to Tom Petty, and yeah, I've been nice. to Bruce Springsteen multiple times. And those, you, you got to get those guys before they're gone, and. Um, now there's there's other artists that that I like, but like you know I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit, but I, I do like Justin Bieber, and a Justin Bieber concert wouldn't be nearly as good as as a Tom Petty concert or or a Bruce Springsteen concert. No, I could have lived my whole life and not known that about you, but <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I will not be going to a Justin Bieber concert. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> I will probably will. I'll pull this one out when I need to. But uh, yeah, especially when you're comparing to Tom Petty and everything else. Well, I was saying right. that I'd much rather see Tom Petty because there's more instruments. It's more. I mean, I I do think that Bieber is very talented, but the the sounds Don't in his digging. You know, the sounds in, in his songs. Stop digging. Just it's stop. more modern pop is different. It's not as good live as, as classical rock. Yeah, and you know it's funny because I asked this this question, and I'm really first of all, I've never had the same answer from any of my guests. They've all been to a different one. And the second thing is, I'm really surprised, like, who's into what music. Like, Mark Thiessen, who you see on the air all the time, yeah. he's like a massive, he goes to like 50 to 60 concerts a year. He flies wow. over the country to go to concerts, all kinds of concerts. Would have never expected that. So, My favorite the, concert I've ever been to, I got, I got to plug this guy, Sam Fender. He's British. He's not that big in the United States, but he's he's pretty much like a young British Bruce Springsteen. You should check really? out yeah, Sam Fender his album came out I think last year. It's called 17 Going Under. Highly recommend. He oh. he played a show in New York. He was unbelievable. Good tip. I I would not have I didn't know that. That's that's good to know. That's and I, I got to redeem myself now that I told you I like Bieber. Go <laughs> go go home and, and listen to Sam Fender, and you'll be like, okay, Nate has good taste in music. There's a question later on in this series that you can redeem yourself, and if you miss that one too, you, that's two strikes. So okay, we'll keep going. Uh, what was your high school mascot? The Rangers, Westboro Rangers. I like that. That's that's tough to be the Rangers. That's good. That's better than most. I yeah. Um. So what was your first job? Did your parents make you work when you were like younger? I mean, not, oh, yeah. you know, like first job, new check from somebody else other than your parents. 
I was 13 or 14 working at a convenience store, um, a Martha's Vineyard, the Katama General Store was the name of it, pretty much just keeping the the fridge packed and breaking down boxes and then eventually worked my way up to cashier. I've done every job that you can think of. I've worked at Stop and Shop as a a cashier and bag boy. I've been a camp counselor. I've been a chef. Uh, You'd be a a good camp counselor. I I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. I went to camp when I was younger. Not not a lot, but I went to camp and yeah, I could see you'd be a good camp counselor. You, what was the other one after camp counselor? I was a line chef. The, is this I, like at Hardee's or where? where, where no, at, like a four-star restaurant. I would just make the Caesar salads. Really? Yeah, yeah. the Caesar salads and the crab cakes. Did you wear and, gloves? And the French onion soup. Um, I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> That's all I, I needed to know. I don't think I did wear gloves. No. <laughs> uh, I was a bouncer. And and my my, uh, my boss would be like, oh, this guy's too drunk. You got to kick him out. And I, I'd go up to the, the these guys and be like, hey, man, you got to go. And they'd be like, what are you going to do about it? And I'd be like, nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you very, very nicely right now. Please don't ruin my night. The uh, funny, was this at a bar or was it? This was, was at it? a bar in Falmouth, Massachusetts, yeah. <laughs> um, the funniest job I've ever had was, and this only lasted for two days, I was a live infomercial salesman, so I was I was selling microfiber cleaning cloths, and I would drive to a mall like two hours away from my home. It was 100% commission. I didn't sell a single one, so I lost money doing this for two days, which is why I quit. But I would, I would go around to just people in a store, and I'd be like, I'm about to have a demonstration in the corner in, in 10 minutes if you'd like to watch. And then I would just spill something and then be... And then I just clean it up in front of them with the microfiber cleaning cloth. And not a single person ever bought one. So I quit. I've been a mover. I've done a ton of things. That's that's highly impressive. <laughs> I can see. I can like. I can totally visualize this happening. And you're how old are you doing this? Uh, well, start my, my work experiences started when I was 13 or 14. And then I, I got into TV professionally at 24 so, all right, so you know all the there yeah, somewhere okay, they just I can range totally there, see that the, going down the infomercial salesman i think was my sophomore year of college oh gosh that is so funny uh what's the nate foy uh superpower like what can you do like yeah i can do that pretty well i'm not not being braggadocious or anything like yeah everybody's got a superpower what's yours um I think that it's my ability to connect with people. Mm-hmm. I, I've been told that when I talk to people that, you know, I, I make them feel valued and, um, you know, I, I'm really listening to what they're saying and I care about them and it's genuine. I, I really do. I, I, I have a connection with, with people, even those that I only see every once in a while, um, you know, obviously, I have my family and my best friends that I talk to all the time, but I, I really try to develop special relationships, and I think I'm pretty good at it. No, that's. I think that comes across on air. I mean, I think the people who thrive on air they they're engaging. They're they got a degree of charisma, and people they 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 like hearing from you, right? And but even though it's not a two way communication when you're on television, you're still. I can see that in you. I totally buy that. That's, you, you know, that's the good. hardest thing, and thank you for saying that, the hardest thing for getting used to television is you don't have emotional feedback. Right. If, right. if you 
are talking to someone, you can sort of read if, all right, like maybe I'm losing their attention. This this story's going on a bit too long. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wrap things up. You can't see that when you're looking into a lens. Or if you make a joke, you have no idea if it lands. <laughs> you know, you just kind of have to trust yourself. So that yeah. took a little bit of getting used to, but I think I'm there now. Yeah. No, that's... You're right. There's live, you know, being in Congress, running for Congress, being in politics, you get a lot of <laughs> vivid live feedback. Sometimes you want it, sometimes you don't. But yeah, <laughs> sure. that happens in spades. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a pet growing up? I did not. My best really? friend had had a black lab, um, and, and I loved her. Her name was Angel. But um, but no, my like I said, my mom had her hands full with, with us four boys and. They uh, there were talks about getting a dog, but I think my parents maybe didn't trust us to actually do all the work, and they they thought it's going to be all mom's efforts. Exactly, yeah. and and she was thinking, well, I, I got my hands full with these yeah, four maniacs cool. anyway. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? No. Okay, good. So you making up for that Bieber comment? That was now, the one. Now you're good. Okay, all right, good. That, that was an equalizer right there because <laughs> it's really important. I'm, I'm to back show. to even par. Yes, you're bad. Yes, after a really bad double bogey, you are like <laughs> just got yeah, an eagle. You birdied that one. All yeah, right. maybe even an eagle. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, all right, two last last two questions. Favorite menu item at Taco Bell? Not a big Taco Bell guy. I honestly couldn't even name what it is. I, I've had Taco Bell and and I enjoy it generally i don't feel that good after i eat it so i don't have it very often but um it, it's one of those i, I want to say it's called a crunch wrap supreme um yeah, pretty good you got that right that's the circular one right it's the it's the soft shell tortilla on the outside a yeah, little I bit crunchy on the inside that one but okay. yeah okay well that's fair enough uh and the uh, equally as important question is um best advice you ever got best advice i ever got hmm well, uh, it took me a long time to get a, a TV job, and um, and I think this is the best advice I've ever got. I, I, it's definitely up there. Um, I struck out for well over 100 jobs, and like I said, I always wanted to do this, and it was difficult starting in sports because if you were to start in news or if you do start in news, m- newsrooms have depending on the size of the newsroom, but they have a lot more open news reporter positions than they do sports reporter positions. These mm-hmm. local stations have just like two people in the sports department. Right. So um, I was really, really struggling to get a job, and, and I was seeing my friends do pretty well in tech sales, and I was very, very close to abandoning the dream and going into tech sales. And a man who is like a second father to me um, his brother actually at like a holiday party, uh, I was talking to him. His name's Jim O'Connor. And, um, I was telling him my, my, my story and how I was having a hard time getting a job and, and thinking about, you know, abandoning the dream. And he just told me, he was like, you've always wanted to do this. You can always go back into tech sales. If you leave TV now, you're never going back into TV and don't feel like you need to be rushed um, you got all the time in the world. You're, you're 23, 24 years old. See it through. And it's not that my dad hadn't told me that or, you know, his brother, Frank O'Connor. They they had all told me similar things, but for whatever reason, some 
sometimes it's just like the way one person says it, it finally gets through to you. Yeah. And that was the moment that I, I was like, I am not quitting no matter what I'm, I'm getting at least one job in TV and seeing how this goes. And, um, I just think back to how close I was to, to quitting and, and now seeing how things worked out. It's, it's unbelievable to me and I'm, I'm the most blessed guy in the world and I'm so grateful for the advice that Jim gave me and, and all the good fortune that I've, I've had since then. And, um, like I said, I, I'm really the luckiest guy in the world living my dream. You know, that's great advice. And it does often take somebody kind of outside the family, somebody who just kind of looks you in the eye at the, just the right moment, just the right, right way to give you kind of bolster the confidence and boo you up and say, Hey, yeah, don't, don't give up now. You know, somebody, there's, I can't remember who it was we were talking to. And it's, it's so many people, they get in the water and they want to swim to the island and they get three quarters of the way. They get 80% of the way there. And then they turn back and swim all the way back. Yeah. It's like if they had just kept going, they could have gotten that last 15, 20% of the way there. The man, it happen. the man who enjoys running will run farther than the man who enjoys the destination. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's great advice. And uh, I got to give my dad a plug as well. So uh, I was thinking, I was like, is that the, the number one best advice I've ever had? Up there as well was before my first varsity basketball game ever, I was really, really nervous and I didn't know if I was good enough to play at that level. And this is just more simple, much quicker story. But my dad just said, he said, hey, Nate, if you play your butt off, everything will be okay. Yeah. And that really does kind of sum up everything. When I got to Fox, I was, you know, really trying to prove myself and there's nerves that come with that. And if I play my butt off, I think I'll be okay. You know, if I if I prepare, if I work as hard as I possibly can, things generally go pretty well. Yeah. You know, I got similar type of advice. I was my wife and I are thinking, praying about running for Congress, you know, put your name out on a ballot and it's scary and all that. And I thought when I finally became comfortable with the idea that I might lose, that life would be fine and I'd go on and I'd still be married and still have kids and I'd figure out the next chapter if I lost, then I was really good at what I was doing because I let all that pressure just kind of shed off and just let her rip like you know we were talking about earlier and it's great advice. Seems like very similar to what your dad said you know, before that game. It's it allows right. you to play free. Yeah, and then be you and just... Don't overthink it. Just just go be the very best that you can. Yeah. And um, that's a, it's very similar to the advice actually Sean Hannity gave me when I was starting out. Sean's been very, very helpful to me and and uh, and very good. And he's like, just just talk these from your heart. Just don't don't do it like you're running for some office. Everybody will sniff it out and you'll be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like just just talk for who you are that's why you got hired here and just let it go and and i think that's exactly right so, authenticity is definitely key yeah people people sniff it out well go enjoy your time with your brothers and your family and whoever else is on that trip and get warm and and uh, recharge your batteries because there's going to be something else stupid going on and <laughs> or disastrous or something interesting that we all want to hear about and we'll see you on the air before we know it but thanks for joining us on this podcast nate boy really do appreciate it of course thanks for having me jason all right i told you i told you nate is just a good fun guy kind of guy you want to hang out with uh, takes the job very seriously, works hard, works smart, can't ask for any more than that. He puts a smile on his face and gets after it. 
Um, and you're going to see a lot more of them at Fox, uh, and, and rightfully so. So I really appreciate you listening. I hope you can rate the podcast, subscribe to it so it shows up each week. Um, I want to remind people you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Uh, go check out the other podcast at foxnewspodcast.com. And I uh, hope you join us next week. Again, subscribe to it, rate it, and we'll be back with more next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. Mm-hmm.